This is episode number 37 with the inspiration for the major motion picture, The Rookie, Jim Morris. Today I bring you the man behind the story of the major Disney motion picture, The Rookie, starring Dennis Quaid. Before we get into it, I just want to say that if you have a dream, chase it. If you think your dream is too big and unachievable, find a way to believe otherwise. Find a way to surround yourself around others that you can push towards their dreams and then they can push you back. Jim Morris has one of those stories that you can't believe it until you hear it. I was so fascinated to dive deeper into Jim's life and his inner motivation behind finally seeing his dream come true. Today, Jim starts off by opening up about how terrible his relationship with his father was, but how he wouldn't have changed a thing about it. He talks about the important role that his grandparents played in his life and all the lessons he learned from them that he still applies and now teaches to others. During this interview, you'll get to hear about a lot of details about his life choices and experiences that you're not able to see the movie portray. Get ready to be inspired by this powerful episode. Make sure you share it with your friends, nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And while you're listening to this episode, take a screenshot of it and post it on your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you and let me know your favorite part. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on being our best self today with the inspirational Jim Morris. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm fired up for today's interview. I have the author, teacher, speaker, former athlete, and the inspiration behind the major motion picture starring Dennis Quaid, uh, the rookie, the one and only Jim Morris with me here today. I appreciate you taking the time to spend with me here today, Jim. Absolutely, Nick. Um, Awesome. Well, basically, I like to give people context on kind of your past experiences and your story. And for me, I want to get a little bit more context on your past. And in the movie, they get do a pretty uh, good job of kind of portraying your relationship with your father. And I kind of just want to ask, you know, a couple quick questions about that, because I feel like that kind of shaped you a lot growing up into somebody who always was pushing themselves super, super hard uh, to succeed, succeed, succeed. So I just kind of wanted you to talk about a little bit about the relationship with your father and how that did shape you, you know, early on growing up. Absolutely. Well, Disney, to make a G movie, they had to cut out a lot of stuff. And the relationship was actually a lot worse. And it was very contentious. And basically, my dad was a bully. And so I went back and I spoke into groups who of people who are in charge now that went to school with my dad when he was a kid. And they said he was that way the whole time growing up. He just, all his friends were smaller than him. He always picked people to be his friends who he could bully around. And it was his way or the highway. So for me, sports... I could be the kid I was supposed to be if only for a few hours at a time in between those white lines, I got to be me. And so I was never going against anybody or even him growing up. I was just trying to be the best me. And so if I could do something a little bit better the next time, whatever facet, either grabbing ground balls, making a good pitch, hitting into the gaps instead of just trying to yank everything over the fence, it became a competition with me. In that competition, it became a competition with my dad because the better athlete I became, the uglier he got, if that can make sense, because he kept trying to go, oh, you're not going to make it. You're you're terrible. You're going to embarrass everybody. And it's a horrible way to grow up. I learned a lot. I basically, from, from my parents, I learned how not to parent. And so I pretty much did the exact opposite. But, you know, at 15 and... The movie kind of alludes to this, but doesn't really describe it. I lived with my grandparents from 15 to 18, and it was that relationship with my grandparents, Ernest and Alice, that shaped who I am today. And instead of putting me down all the time, they were building me up. And, you know, my grandfather would tell me how to shake hands, look people in the eye, yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am, open doors for people, taking my grandmother on lunch dates while I was in high school so I would know how to treat women just to be prepared to be a good human, to be a good man. And I think he thought it was his second chance because he missed it with my dad. Now, my uncle is just like a combination of my grandparents. Awesome spirit, awesome person, Christian-filled, lives that way every day. And then you go to my dad and he's just in very much the diametrically opposite of anything that they stood for. 
And so I tried to live up to my grandparents and what they wanted instead of my dad. If I could prove him wrong, that's what I tried to do. Hmm. You might have been, too, I'm not really sure how old you were when you had certain conversations with your your grandparents. You might have been too young. But do you know if the, like your grandfather or grandmother ever talked to you about maybe why your dad was different than maybe your uncle? You know, I've tried to get that. We tried to have that conversation a multitude of times. And they're just like, I don't know what happened to him. And the deal was he and my mom back in the 60s, had to get married because she got pregnant. And the very ugliest thing he ever said to me, on top of the beatings, the bruises, and everything else, he looked at me one day and he goes, we didn't even want you. And and then he looked at my brother and he goes, this is what we wanted. And I thought, wow. He basically blamed me for them getting pregnant and just never took responsibility for anything it was always somebody else's fault and as soon as i learned that i was able to deal with it better and i've forgiven him not for him but for me because for me to grow uh, spiritually physically anything else i had to forgive that part of my childhood because it did make me tough it did make me persevere and it made me overcome a lot because i was always trying to prove him wrong and so i wouldn't change anything about the way in which i grew up because that makes me me mm-hmm I think that that forgiving process was obviously super important for you. So how did you get over or how did you be able to get to the point where you were able to forgive him for yourself? Basically, I just had to not self-diagnose, but I just went, there's something wrong with him. There's something not right. And so I've just got to forgive him because um, people use this analogy. If you're talking to someone who's not a good person, you're having to deal with them daily. Act like they're handicapped, like they're in a wheelchair. And how would you treat a person in a wheelchair? Well, you treat them with care. And you kind of go along to get along at times because you're not going to win an argument. And so I had to forgive him for a multitude of things, but mainly had to do it for myself so that I could grow up. I didn't want to be a parent because I thought I would be him. And then as soon as they put Hunter in my arms, all I could do is cry and go, who could ever touch a kid? And I just don't get it. Well, I think I want to acknowledge you for taking the kind of personal responsibility for realizing that you really weren't going to change anything about him, but that you had to change it within yourself to actually forgive him to be able to move past it. Because I think that taking that personal responsibility and kind of ownership for the situation was really important and for you to kind of get over that hurdle. Absolutely. And that's why you talk to people about being the best you, you can be. For me, I set my... I set every line I try to get to in every dream a little bit out of my reach so that I have to stretch myself all the time to get better and better. And like I said, it's not to prove him wrong. I'm past that. It's to prove me right. Mm -hmm. And I want to do this and I want to help people and I want to give back and I want to make people feel like they're wanted. And, you know, right now you look out at the world and you go, man, there's just a lot of meanness and hatefulness going on. That's what I dealt with for 18 years of my life. And so I don't want that anymore. I'm 55 and I still look back at that and I see the comparisons between then and now. And I don't think there are more people are ugly on purpose. I just think there's a bigger population. So that small group is looking big because they talk louder than people and they push people around and they want to do what they want to do. And if you don't think like they think you're crazy and I grew up with that for 18 years, so I know kind of how to unplug that and go, you know what, whatever, man, I'm just going to be the best me I can be. Yeah, no, I think that's right in terms of, I don't think that there's like a higher volume of people that are that that negative or that mean or that bad. It's just that those are the people that get the attention. Like those are the people that make the news headlines because that's the entertaining thing that's going to make the news or get on social media or blow up or anything like that. It's not like the middle of the road people who don't have a super strong opinion. It's the people that are super polarized one way or the other. Um, but I kind of want to, I, you know, you touched on uh, the relationship with your grandparents and I know through some research that there was just a super powerful influence on you because of um, you spent so much time with them and because of the negative influence kind of that your dad had a little bit. So talk a little bit about the different lessons that you learned from your grandparents and how you applied those into your life. My grandfather taught me that when I go out in the world, 
he would always tell me, remember who you are and whose you are. And when I'm talking to a secular audience, I just put, remember who you are, because not everybody wants to hear whose you are. And for whatever reason, you know, but that's who I am. And my grandparents instilled that in me. So every time I left the house, he would go, remember who you are. And he sat me down one night and he explained it. He goes, when you walk out of my door, not only are you you, but you're part of us. And you represent us when you're outside in the world. And when you're outside in the world, you also represent our church, our school, our community, our city. We represent a whole lot more than what we think we do with just ourselves. So if we take that and we go, I'm not going to be selfish anymore. It opens a whole new dynamic into going, I'm going to treat everybody. And he said this, treat everybody how you'd want your grandmother treated. Hmm. That takes hatefulness out of it right there. I never heard them say a cross word to each other. And that's after 15 years of watching my parents throw, hit, curse, and say the ugliest things possible to each other. Here are my grandparents who never said anything ugly. They built each other up so that there were no limits. They could go as high and as far as they wanted to, and they always found a way to give back. And so if I can represent that in some way with with my family and my church and whatever school I'm into at that time or whatever audience I speak to all around the world, that's what I want to leave them with. Remember who you are. Mm. Now, I really like that you uh, ended up saying the word that you were going to stop being selfish um, because I think that's kind of really what it boils down to, but a lot of people don't really think of selfishness in that way because you know you said you don't use whose you are sometimes to a secular audience but i don't even think it has to be necessarily faith oriented like if you just think about it in terms of your family like you don't you want to make sure that whose you are you're part of your family you want to go out into the world and make sure that you're representing them in the best way possible and it comes down to like super small things for some reason like the thing that keeps going back in my head is like when a lot of people are young and like i did this when i was young my when my parents would be like clean up your room and i'd be like it's my and i'd be like it's my room like don't stop worrying about me but it's like in the smallest way it's still a reflection of who they are and you want to make sure that like that's just such a small lesson like clean up your room but you can take that into being unselfish when you go out into the world and realize that you're a reflection of your family and everybody who loves and cares about you. Absolutely. It's about boundaries. It's about accepting responsibility. And, you know, from the time I was five years old, I started having to do chores around the house. And when people go, oh, you had to pick up the trash. And, dude, I had to do the laundry. I had to wash it, dry it, fold it. If anything was ruined because, you know, I'm a little kid and I throw colors in. That was a whipping. And so I learned early on to do everything the best I could for the people around me and for my environment, for me to survive. I had to go above and beyond. And to do that, I had to take myself out of the equation and go, this is not about me. This is about pretty much everything but me. So I'm just going to fill in that equation and do my part. So that has helped me. And then my grandparents, of course, just unbelievable relationship I had with them. And not only the good stuff, but then watching my grandfather go through ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease and the struggle that my grandparents went through of even having to take a bath and not being able to move. And, you know, my grandfather, 6'3", 260, he lost weight during ALS. But my grandmother's 5'3". And so she's having to move this great big man around. And she's not complaining. She's not saying anything negative. She's just doing it because that is what is expected. Mm-hmm. We're doing it to help the person we love. And so, therefore, it's it's not negative. It's not, why am I having to do this? It's, what can I do next to help that person? Mm. That's such a powerful thing to see. That's really cool. Well, I think we could talk about this kind of stuff all day long, but I want to make sure I kind of get into a little bit of uh, the baseball stuff. So back in 1982 was the when you were originally drafted for the very first time, I think 466th overall in that first one. And then in 1988 was the first time you kind of retired from baseball, right? So I kind of want you to talk about that six or seven year time period in between where you know you're trying to make it um in the minor leagues and you injury after injury after injury i just kind of want you to talk about your your mindset and your frame of reference of like what you what you're thinking about during that time and what you think like your life is painting out to be and just what's going through your mind through throughout that time period 
Um, during that time period, I got to know a lot of surgeons. Uh, I got hurt <laughs> a lot. And so and Dr. Joe, who started the Tommy John surgery, ended up doing a Tommy John on me. And then that automatically that gives you a year to think about what you did right and what you did wrong because it's going to take a year to recover. And I was always thinking about how to make myself better in my own way. I want to do it my way. If the doctor said take off nine months, I would take off nine weeks and I would start doing what I wanted to do because I knew better than that. It's my body. <laughs> and stubborn. And while I learned a lot from my grandparents, it took me a long time to learn how to put that out in the real world and go, maybe they know what they're talking about. They went to school for 25 years, so I think they know. And again, trying to become unselfish and do the right thing. It was a miserable time for me because in Brownwood, it was a football city where baseball was kind of a stepchild and we played summer league games. We didn't even have a high school team. So for me, baseball was my life. And then we moved to Brownwood. It's all football. I love football, but baseball is my passion. So 10 games a summer. And if you get into playoffs, a few more. But I was striking out everybody there. I go to my first spring training. Everybody's bigger than me. They're faster than me. They throw harder than me. They've been in college for three years. And I'm just like, I am not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> everybody was good. And that was hard for me to accept going, why does that guy throw 98 and I only throw 88? And so it was getting to know myself outside of the, my upbringing. I had to learn who I was. And I had all the teaching tools, how to do it wrong, how to do it right, how to do it in between. But I had to find out who I was. Mm -hmm. It was in those years of going through surgeries and trying to get well and coming back and doing okay and then getting hurt again that I really found out who I was. And I learned how to overcome obstacles. I learned how to persevere and it made me tough. So what are those different, what are the biggest things that you did learn about yourself? Because you talk about so big right now about the self-discovery process through these times, through these obstacles, challenges, injuries, surgeries. What did you, you know, what did you come up with in terms of I am this kind of, I am this person? I learned how not to be my own enemy. And so instead of self-defeatist talk like, oh, what's going to go wrong this time? Oh, you have to pitch again today. Oh, my God, I was horrible last time. All that talk has to go away, and we have to start building things. And I will tell you where it started changing for me. At 24, I went back to college. And I'd been told I was done my whole life by my dad, by my high school counselor, by my football coach. And then I go to college and find out I'm smart. I can do anything I want to. That's when I learned who I was. And I learned I had a lot of different options. It wasn't just this one area of baseball. We had to go through that door and we have no other dream possible. I could do anything. With an education, you can blossom and whatever you start chasing may not be what you end up loving the most. You got a finance degree, found out I'm not an office person. We start to learn who we are as we grow up. And I have to say this, guys are slower than girls. Girls figure it out quicker, but we eventually will come to that place. It's up to us to accept it and learn from it and move on. But for me, going back to college right after baseball, is what helped me grow up tremendously. Mm. Yeah, I think the and the growing up process always happens at a different pace and with different experiences for every single person. And it's sometimes because I think sometimes we try to fast forward that process uh, on our own. And sometimes if you try to too intentionally make it happen, it doesn't happen the way it should. So if you kind of let things flow as they should to a certain extent, then it'll happen in due time. That's amazing. My grandmother would tell me, she would go, all in God's timing. And I thought, if he would just give me a clue, I thought <laughs> I could get there quicker. And she yeah. goes, it doesn't work like that. Uh, you know, I, I say that, but I'm, I'm one of the most impatient people that you could, well, in my head, I feel like I'm super impatient. And I always try to reconfirm to myself, like, in due time, be patient, just stay the course, that sort of thing. Because the toughest phrase that I struggle with is, uh, like embrace the journey, not over, over the destination or whatever the, however the phrase goes. Um, but to kind of fast forward a little bit, you went to, what year did you go to uh, start coaching at Reagan County High School? 97. Okay. In 97. So 
I also heard the quote that I think maybe the athletic director told to you that, like, why are you coming here? It's a place that people pass through on the way to somewhere better. Um, so why, why Reagan County High School? Why was that the decision to start coaching there? At 19 years old, when the Brewers drafted me and they gave me $35,000 to play baseball, I bought this little red sports car. So at 19, I drive through Big Lake, Texas, in my little red sports car. And as I drove through there, I thought, who would live here? And there are two answers to that. One, God has a long memory and a sense of humor, man, because that's where I ended up. But two, this was a group of kids who nobody believed in. And I think I was the person, the right person for that job at that time with that group of kids to show them, you know what, there are no limits. We can achieve. We just have we have to work. We have to dream. We have to put that dream into action because a dream without action is sitting still. And if we sit still, other people pass us by. I was at Reagan County High School to help those kids learn how to dream. And I truly believe that because everybody had said they're useless. They're not, they, they don't amount to anything. They're not even going to graduate. They're going to work in the oil fields and gas fields. And I was like, I was told that. You're not smart. You're not good. You're going to have to do whatever anybody tells you to do because you don't know how to do anything for yourself. I wanted those kids to know there was another option. Mm. You know, it's, it's crazy because it kind of comes full circle. Like you had that experience, that experience growing up with your father that, you know, always told you you couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. You weren't going to amount to anything. And if you hadn't had that experience, then you wouldn't be living the life that you're living right now or have the story to tell that you're able to tell right now because you were able to kind of see, or you were able to literally talk to the kids from your firsthand experience, like what they were experiencing because you experienced it yourself. So I think that's just super cool that it came full circle like that. Absolutely. Uh, So your first year coaching that baseball team, uh, I heard you say that eight kids came out the first day of practice. Yep. So what's running through your mind now? That the first day, eight kids, like what what am I going to do? I'm like, I don't even have enough kids for a high school team. What am I going to do, man? And, you know, I ended up doing something that wasn't totally legal, but it ended up being okay because nobody took advantage of it. I offered a free A in my science class to who had ever come out to my baseball team. And what happened was two kids who made straight A's and didn't need the help came out for my team. And they couldn't play, but that gave us 10 kids. And we had to learn from the ground up. And we had to learn to wear our uniforms right. We had to learn to turn our hat around. Because this sport of baseball has seen our country through everything. Wars, recessions, depressions, civil unrest. When the men couldn't play, the ladies took over and they had a league. Baseball has seen us through almost all of our democracy. And it's been a great game. And I want those kids to understand that. In between these lines, anything can happen. It doesn't matter how big you are. It doesn't matter how fast you are or how hard you can throw. If you play as a team, and when I say team, I'm talking about coaches, scorekeepers, athletic trainers, people on the field, second string guys. We all represent us. And it's not about me anymore. It's about us. And that's the philosophy we went with those kids. So that was really like the focus of the first year. I mean, because you can't really be concerned about winning too many games, uh, having the situation that you were presented with. So it was really just about kind of teaching them the lessons of the game and kind of like the life lessons that go along with it. Absolutely, man. And it's amazing when those kids figured out that I wasn't there because I got paid a lot of money to be out in the middle of nowhere, West Texas, but I was there for them. They bought in. And so that second year at Reagan County where everything takes place, I had 63 kids come out from my baseball team in a little bitty school because they wanted to be a part of something that was bigger than themselves. And that was my goal, to make those kids realize we can have any dream we want. If we have more heart and a better plan, we can achieve anything. I mean, that's absurd that you go from eight to 63. Did it, was there just kind of like a, do you think like an energy around the school, around being part of a baseball team, being around a part of something bigger than yourself that just kind of vibrated through the school that made people be like, I want to go play for this guy? Absolutely. And it was, it's all about relationships. When those kids found out that they could trust an adult and that adult was there for them and not just wins and losses, 
but for everything, that relationship blossomed. And those kids would have done anything for me. And I would do anything for them because we're a family. We're a team. We represent us. We represent our school, our city, on, on, and on. And when people look at us, if somebody's messing around, that gives everybody that name. You don't want to be a part of them. They mess around. But if we're all doing it right, people want to be involved with that because they're like, what have they got that we don't? Mm-hmm. Relationship. Trust. Yeah, there's, there's an, energy an energy about, about that. that. That's just, that's just, uh, everybody, everybody wants, wants to be around. It's contagious. That's what I was looking for. It's energy that's contagious. Yeah. And with, with my dad and with the coaches I had in high school and even college, I got yelled at for everything. And I thought, if I'm ever in charge of a group of kids, I'm going to talk to them like they're human beings. I'm not going to yell and scream or anything. Cause I remember being a kid going in one ear and out the other. I don't care. You're screaming at me. I'm not listening to anything. And I make my own path. And a lot of times I would screw up and I didn't want those kids to screw up. So I wanted them to believe in me and to believe in me. I had to talk to them like they're human. Mm. And so to move forward, uh, it's a pivotal point in your life. And I guess a pivotal point in the movie too is when, uh, you gave the, you know, your speech to your players. I think it was, it might have been after a loss or just out of it kind of a downtime where you gave the speech about hopes and dreams and then your catcher calls you out about not living out and chasing down your dream because they felt like you still wanted to play and still wanted to give it a shot. So what I want to ask from that is why do you think people are held back from chasing down their dream? I think they think it's too hard and I have to be grown up now. I've got to put that off to the side because now I'm married. Now I have a family. Now I have a life. My daughter calls it adulting. (laughs) We're adulting now. Those kids, and it wasn't about baseball. It was just baseball that I got to use as a tool to teach them that anything is possible. And so for me, it was all about teaching those kids how to dream. And in that relationship, they taught me. Like I said, it's not me anymore. It's we. It's us. We're in this together. And I pushed them and they pushed back. And you know what? We all, we all became better people for it. Hmm. So it sounds to me, it's like, it's, so it's like a lack of belief that the dream is actually possible. So if that's the, so if that's true, then how do you instill in somebody to believe in themselves and believe that their dream actually can come true, can come true? I tell people, you don't want to wake up one day when you're 60 or 65 and go, what if? What if I would have tried one more time? What if I would have given it everything I had so I knew the answer, whether it be you're going to make it or you're not going to make it, but we're going to find out the answer. Because when you find out the answer for sure, you can move on. In my life, being an introvert and being a motivational speaker is weird. Yeah. And I grew up not talking a lot. My dad said children are to be seen and not heard. And now I'm in my mid-50s, and I talk to people all over the world. And like I said, the dream you start chasing may not be the one you end up loving the most. To me, this is the most gratifying and fun thing I could possibly be doing right now. I get paid to motivate people. Who would have thought? (laughs) And it's not, I hurt my arm again, let's go have a surgery. Or I had a car wreck, my back's hurt, let's have surgery. Let's go talk to people and let's meet people. You know what? There are a lot of good people out there. Yeah, that's cool. So uh, the day of the tryout, right? You you go in there really not expecting a whole lot. Uh, you bring your you bring your three kids, eight, four, and one at the time. Did you re- did you actually not expect anything, or did you have a little glimpse of hope, or just break me down, break it down, like the mental process going to that first day of tryout? The first thing I noticed when I drove up was how young everybody was. And I thought, I could be their dad. This is ridiculous. No hope. 35, right? This was just a bet. You were 35, 35, right? 35. Okay. And so the kids start warming up, and nobody will even play catch with me. So they're warming up, getting ready to throw and run, and I'm playing with my kids and changing diapers. After everybody tried out, Gasolator Scout calls me out there, hands me a ball, and said, pitch. He said, all right. And I start throwing. 
And I noticed people who were packing their cars to leave and they were with their parents or they were on their own. They started wandering back over to the field. And it was just two scouts, a radar gun, and then two radar guns, the catcher and me. And then behind the screen, all of a sudden, there's a few parents, then there's more, and then there's a bunch of kids. Pretty soon, everybody in the parking lot is behind the plate. And I'm like, I'm either doing really good or I suck really bad. <laughs> and that's when Gasly looked at one of the kids and he goes, grab your bat and get in the box. And that kid goes, you, you want me to get in the box with that? I thought, wow. That's it. Then it hit me. And I thought, those kids were right. Through 88, when I was supposed to be young and talented, have a surgery in which the doctor said, you'll never pitch again, come back throwing 98 to 102. How does that happen? When I pushed those kids, they pushed back and we made each other better. Is that, is, is that actually, like, what's the explanation for that? Because it's, it's like literally just doesn't make sense at all that, you know, like you said, you were throwing maybe 86, 87, 88, and then all of a sudden, you, almost a decade later, you're throwing 10 miles per hour harder. Like, how? I can give you the answer that makes people comfortable, and I can give you an uncomfortable answer. The comfortable answer is I worked out with those kids every day. I ran with them. I stretched with them. I threw with them. I liked to throw batting practice so I could see their swings and their approach at the plate. And so I made myself as smooth as possible so I could throw every day. The uncomfortable answer is everything is done in God's time. And I think when I was young and talented, I wasn't ready mentally to take on that responsibility. I think when I did it for everybody but me, that's when God went, now you're ready. And I got that second chance to show kids that nothing is impossible. There is no explanation. Dr. Job, when I went back out to L.A., he goes, man, if you figure out what happened, you tell me because I, I could sell that and get rich. <laughs> right. He said, dude, you are rich. He goes, richer. <laughs> that's hysterical so afterwards you get a lot of phone calls and people wanted you to pitch again but i kind of want to fast forward to making the decision of actually like taking the contract and going to play for play double a baseball because i think a lot of people are presented with second with second chances or an opportunity to maybe chase down uh, a dream chase down a goal but they know that there's gonna be a lot of work put in a lot of effort, a lot of sweat, a lot of blood, a lot of tears. And a lot of times may not take that opportunity because like, Oh, I don't know if there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel there. It's just going to, it could just be, I could just end up failing. So what's, how do you actually end up taking that leap of faith and making the decision to actually go play baseball again? I had a football job that was going to allow me to coach at a 4A school in Fort Worth. I would be an assistant football coach and the head baseball coach, bigger environment, more kids, more responsibility. I had that waiting for me. On the other side of that, I have this dream in which I failed at so many times when I was young and talented. And now, hey, we want you to sign a contract. I basically had three months to go find out if I could do it or not. They held my job as long as they possibly could. I went and pitched. One of the biggest lessons my grandfather ever taught me is don't take yourself too seriously. And whatever you do, go have fun with it. Work hard. Play hard and find out your answer. If you're meant to do something, it will come to you. Three months later, I'm pitching at the ballpark in Arlington, 20 miles from where I had a job waiting for me to go coach football. Now, if you want a, a weird response, you should have seen the football coach. He went, you're doing what? <laughs> that was my summer to go find out and be a kid again. And I went back and I found, you know what? You can throw hard and you have control. And you're getting your dream at 35. I asked my preacher one time, and I said, why couldn't I have started here? And he looked me in the eye. We're having lunch. And he goes, Jimmy, you have no idea how good good is till you see how bad bad can be. And there were a lot of ups and downs in those 15 years. Things I did right, things I did wrong, things that were done to me, things I did to people. But at the end of it, don't take yourself so seriously that you take yourself out of the equation. We have to enjoy what we're doing. Either way, I win. If I make it in baseball, unbelievable. 35-year-old fat man gets to go play baseball. On the other side of that, 
I get to coach at a school in which I have more kids in a bigger geographical area in which to teach them. I win both ways. Just like Royce Clayton came up, he struck out. He could have hit a home run. It didn't matter to me. I was there. And I was there because of a group of kids who when I saw something in them, they saw something in me. Hmm. Doesn't get better than that. Yeah. That's so powerful when it's reciprocal like that. Very cool. Um, so it was a quick, it was a quick like three months, right? To from moving from double A AA to triple A to finally getting called to that first game where you had a four pitch strikeout. So tell me a little bit about that three month period. Were there, were there like tough adjustments that you had to make and challenges that you faced during that three months that you learned through or you worked through? Yeah, number one challenge. When I signed that contract to play minor league baseball, I took a pay cut from teaching to play minor league baseball. <laughs> Dude, we're poor already. And, but there were times when I definitely wanted to quit. I missed my kids. I'd never been away from them. The marriage was rocky already, but I wanted my kids around me. And so the only time I'd ever been away from them was like a two-day baseball tournament. And now three months. And so there were periods of time. And I had to tell you because of my grandparents' faith, I've got a lot of faith. And I think God pushed me a little bit. And when I wanted to quit, and go pay bills, I would get an endorsement like from Reebok. They would send the money home. The wife would pay bills. I played a little bit longer. The next month, glove contract. Money goes home, pays the bills. I get to play a little bit longer. And the last thing that happened, and it was right before I got called up, was I went and I saw this group of kids playing under the lights. And I went out and these kids were smiling and having a good time playing baseball. And I thought, baseball? Wow. Two nights later, I get called up to the big leagues. Perseverance and not giving up too quick. And getting your answer so that your heart is at peace for the rest of your life. If I make it, great. If I don't, great. At least I know the answer. And I've given it everything I had. For that period of time. I'm a 35-year-old who got to be a kid again. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, very good. So um, when, let's see, they made the movie in 2002. When when they just told you that they were going to make a movie about you, uh, what, 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 like, through that process, was your favorite part about them making a movie about your life? I think to me, even now, it's still surreal. And so when the movie is on and I pass by a TV and the girls or somebody's watching it, I almost have to pinch myself and go, did I really do that? It went so fast and everything happened in such quick succession that I... Unbelievable. 250 people on a movie set, they would film something and they would look at me to see my reaction. That's a lot different than being in a classroom with 30 kids or on a baseball field with 60. Now you're having a movie. Dennis Quaid's playing you. All these other people want to play you, but Dennis got the job. Hanging out with Dennis Quaid did not suck. <laughs> we got to eat the best meals. We got to go to the best places. And what a great guy to have portray me. Totally fantastic experience. And it's just a dream come true. Yeah, it's so cool. Never in my life did I go... I think I will go play baseball this summer and I will have a movie made about me. Yeah. Not unless it's a comedy of errors and you're like, dude, you did this so wrong. And then Dennis ends up doing a great job. Unbelievable. Was there any part of it that was like really challenging for you in terms of like the what, like how they portrayed certain things or was there anything that just like was a challenge about, I mean, like it's, just, it's a big deal, right? Like everybody's getting to see about your life and all the things that you went through. So what, like, was there a biggest challenging or least favorite part about that process for you? At first it was challenging because I wanted my grandparents to be a bigger part because that's who made me who I am. Mm. But that has also allowed me over time to go out in the world and speak of my grandparents in the way I want to, because they're only mentioned in the movie with a line. Now I can create the image of them and show them as being bigger than life because to me they were. Mm. And so I can create their story because it got left out of my story. The other thing was 
like the third day on set, they're filming the bet. And they say, cut. Dennis comes over to me. and He's like, dude, what would you say to these kids right now? And so I start rattling off stuff about hopes and dreams and goals. And he's not writing anything down. I'm like, whatever, dude. He goes back and they say action. He repeats word for word five minutes of what I had said. And I thought, that's amazing. It was just cool. Everything worked out so it's a dream. Still a dream. Well, that's great to hear that. It was such a positive experience for you. And just because I feel like, you know, with with everybody being able to, like, see into your life, you never know how you can take that as a person because it's such a big thing that you never really would have expected. So it's so great to hear that it was such a powerful and positive experience for you. Um, you know, you do – people have interviewed you a decent amount about the movie and about baseball career. Is there any question that you wish more people would ask you maybe about – your career at the high school or any experiences that you had that you wish that people asked you more about that they don't? I wish people would ask me more about the faith part of my journey because that's a big part of who I am. And that is what my grandparents instilled on me and everybody they came in contact with. They were never rich, but they always found a way to give back. And so the faith aspect is a big deal for me. But I love sharing their story because you can add faith in there and it makes it incredibly powerful. But them just being who they were was incredibly powerful on its own. So when you say the faith part of your story, just like always believing that in due time things would come and that everything was happening for a reason, is that really what the faith part of it was? Yeah, and realizing... There's something bigger going on in the world than us. To make everything work like it works and everything be balanced like it's balanced, we're one degree off from imploding, one way or the other. But everything is set up perfectly for us to survive and thrive. And my grandparents taught that to me. They instilled that in me. But the fact that they lived it, and they were a living example of watching them do right, it's not doing right once. It's what doing right every single time. That's immeasurable to me because now it's helped me teach my kids. It's going to help me teach my new granddaughter. All because of that relationship. When I could have gone off the rails at 15, they pulled me back in. They said, not, not on our watch. This is how it's going to be. I never got yelled at. I never got screamed at. I never got hit. I never got cursed at from 15 to 18 because they were in charge. And I knew where their relationship with each other and their faith was all the time because they lived it. That's awesome. I love it. Nothing more powerful than somebody living out something that you can actually visually see and then kind of try to take that into your own life and apply it to and apply it yourself. Um, so you have this, this big accomplishment of at 35 years old, being able to live out your dream, pitching in the major leagues. Um, now you do motivational speaking. So you have a lot of achievements and a lot of successes that you can be proud of. Is there anything that you're most proud of that isn't necessarily like as tangible of a success like that, that most people wouldn't normally think about? I think the fact that I'm married to someone I truly love and we've raised five kids together and everybody's happy and healthy and they've learned from my mistakes how to do it the right way. Mm. If that's the only purpose I've served is to help people live the right way and they look and go, I don't want to do it that way, that's great. Because I went out there and I did something nobody thought I could do, and now they go, you know what, I can do that too. It may not be baseball. None of my kids played baseball. That's okay. I want them to chase their dreams. Baseball helped me survive. I want my kids to thrive. And I want the audiences I talk to to thrive. And I want everybody to be nicer to each other. But it all starts one at a time. There's someone sticking out their hand and shaking somebody's hand and smiling. It's all about relationship. That's great. Something as simple as that is just can go such a long way in building that relationship. So I think that's great. Um, but so are you currently writing a book right now called Dream Makers? I am. Okay. And it's basically, for the last 10 years, I've talked about dream makers and dream killers. And the dream maker definition is surrounding yourself with the best people possible to be the best you you can possibly be. 
better you. They've come up with a subtitle. I haven't memorized it yet. I just got it this morning. But it's, it goes along those lines. And it's basically from 10 years of speeches, the good parts, the parts of stuff we have to put up with. There's always going to be bullies in our lives, but there's always going to be great people too. And if we surround ourselves with those great people and we get rid of the other people, it's not me anymore, it's we. Hmm. So it, it's laughing, it's fun, it's real. It's my journey through Parkinson's. And then now they say, I don't have Parkinson's after they put this stuff in my brain. How did that happen? People don't get well from Parkinson's. Now I have no symptoms. It's a journey. And I know you hate this, but it's not always the destination. We know the destination. It's the journey who makes us who we are. Mm -hmm. Good, bad, indifferent. It's the chances we take to make me turn into we. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I don't hate it. I, I like it a lot. I just have, it's, it's a very much of a struggle for me to get that perspective early on. Uh, so I try 20s. as much as I can. You're in your 20s. You'll get it more. <laughs> I'll try. Um, so the final two questions that the, I'm getting into now. So the second to last one, um, how will, I always ask the age question to start. So how old did you say you are? 50? 55. 55. Okay, awesome. So you're currently 55. In 10 years down the road, you're going to be 65 years old. Um what does 65-year-old um, Jim Morris, what is he doing? What has he accomplished? Um, and everything like that. I think for me right now, I look ahead 10 years and I would go still speaking to people. It's hard for me to sit still. I want to enjoy my grandkids. I want to enjoy my kids. And now they know we can go chase that dream, whatever it be, and we can achieve it. You just can't give up. I want more people to get on board with that. So the more people I talk to, the more I get on board with it, whether it be in church, corporate people, schools, colleges. We've got to quit depending on other people for our happiness. Mm. It's got to be inside. So at 65, I'm still traveling, man. I love it. I love it. Well, that's great. Well, before I ask the last, que before I ask the last question, I want to acknowledge you, Jim, because I think that having – the childhood that you had with so much negativity thrown your way. It's so hard to overcome that. And obviously your grandparents were such a big influence on you and helping you to kind of persevere through that and have the faith to get to the other side. And I think one of the most powerful things that anybody can do is give back to people who are in very similar experiences that they were in because you can relate with them on such a higher and such a deeper level. Um, and I think that it was so cool for your life to kind of circle back around to that, to be able to, dive into those kids and give back so much to them that they weren't given and that you weren't given as a child. And it affected them in such a positive way. And it affected you in return in such a positive way as well. So I think that's such a super powerful and cool thing that you were able to experience over the last number of years. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate that. Um, well, so before I ask that last question as well, I want people to um, be able to learn more about you and follow uh, more about what you're doing, different speaking engagements that you have, and learn when the book is going to come out. Um, and so where can people learn a little bit more about you online and everything like that? Yeah. Um, I speak with a lot of speakers bureaus. So I guess this one is for Sherry Connor for Speaker Connect. And But the book is coming out next spring training. The final manuscript is due in July. And everybody is looking at me to impatiently get it done and I'm taking my sweet time because I want it to be right and it's got to have my voice in it and I want people to know it's not all been good there have been rough times when you go through Parkinson's diagnosis and Parkinson's brain surgery and everything else that goes along with that there are ups and downs and my family's been a part of seeing me up and down but you know one thing I'll never do they'll never see me quit mm. and so I It'll be out next spring, and it's going to be eye-opening. Yeah, I bet. No, I'm really looking forward to it. I'll have to keep my eye on the lookout for it. Uh, well, the last question that I ask, uh, we kind of we touched on it. It was funny before we started recording how the becoming the best version of yourself is a super unique journey. The way I'm becoming the best version of myself is going to be different the way that you become the best version of yourself. And you talked about how each of your kids has different things that kind of motivate them to get closer to the best version of themselves as well. So what I want to ask for you personally, 
is if you could currently work on or do three things to get closer to the best version of yourself, what are those three things that you would currently do or currently work on? It's an everyday process. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better grandparent. And I want to know what it takes to get there. I've learned how to work hard. I've learned that there are obstacles in everything we do. And I know that I can overcome anything that comes my way now. I just want to, like you said, be the best version of me I can possibly possibly be. And in doing that, again, it's not me, it's we. What can we do? What can we accomplish? What can we dive into and teach other people? That's it, man. So what so what is it gonna so what is it gonna take for you to be the best dad, father, husband that you that you possibly can be? Getting up every day with a smile on my face and getting after it. Mm. Showing everybody, even with everything that's gone on, I'm not stepping back, I'm not stepping down, I'm not stepping away. I'm coming, man. I love it. Well, that's all we got. I appreciate your time, Jim. Absolutely, Nick. Thank you so much. Thank you. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, share it with one friend or family member. Just take the link from the podcast or text them, hey, check this out, nickcarrier.com slash podcast, and it'll take them right to the episode. We want to spread this message. Help me. If you know someone who is a big baseball fan, a big fan of this movie, or just loves the power of a great story, send them this episode. To learn more about Jim and to stay tuned for the book release of Dream Makers, you can learn more at jimtherookiemorris.com. Remember to believe. Believe in yourself, in your dream, and in your ability to make it come true. When times get rough, remember to just stay tough. Stay the course because in due time, if you continue to work hard and diligently towards your dreams, they will come true. But now you know what time it is. It's time to go out and upgrade yourself today to get closer and closer to your best you.